Welcome to the 10K Collective podcast for six, seven and eight figure Amazon and e-commerce sellers, a part of the amazing FBA family. If you want to scale fast, target a seven figure exit and enjoy the process, then keep listening. Today's episode is sponsored by the new e-commerce podcast, The E-Commerce Leader, co-hosted by myself, Michael Vizi, and Jason Miles, top 1% Shopify store owner and Unimi's highest rated e-commerce instructor. If you're the owner of a thriving e-commerce business, look for The E-Commerce Leader on your favorite podcast app and subscribe today. Hey folks, welcome back to the show. And today we have been talking to and will continue to talk to Brad Moss of Product Labs, former manager of Seller Central for Amazon themselves. So a true Amazon insider and a very smart guy as well. So we've been talking about really creating a sellable business. What is it you're actually selling, in fact? And today we're going to talk about the operations side. And really, the simple question I'm putting to Brad in a second is, what can you outsource and still have a sellable business? Which I think is a really good question. So what sort of operational side do you need to have to be able to sell a business? Simple question and some interesting implications. I'm not going to answer the question. You'll have to listen to the show to find out. So enjoy the show. Well, I had a conversation literally two days ago with one of the mastermind members we've got, who's a smart guy. He seems to have a real knack for doing what I think is the hardest thing, which is picking winnable markets, uh, creating great product design and and really great on the positioning side. It's kind of effortless at that. It's unusual. And we're all sitting there going, wow, how come you're so good at that? And he's literally said, I'm really bored with my business more than once. I'm like, well, okay, I'd be happy to be bored by your business. But the point is, he really wants to outsource um uh, a ton of the operation side, certainly the Amazon operation side to an agency of some description and pretty much uh, as much of the rest of it as he can to other forms of agencies in talks with an agency to do some other marketing off Amazon. And what's very interesting about this conversation is that implies he's not actually going to damage his value of his business. And that was one of the conversations we said, look, if you're going to get so bored that the business is going to go into decline, as we were just saying, then that's really, really bad for the valuation of the business. Maybe you should, you know, put the business up for sale. And then the end of the conversation, I said, I'm actually convinced that you should do this because I think you still really do like your business. You're just good at the stuff that happens to be really hard, you know, picking markets, developing products. And the rest of it, I'd said, frankly, and I'm not being rude to, to you here, but I said, Amazon agencies are a commodity. I'm mean, okay, people, as your sophistication come more expensive. But it's very, very interesting what you're saying, that you think the aggregators or the, the buyers, the investors aren't really going to care about that. So in that case, I guess that brings me right down, down to the question of what is it we're really selling? If we're not selling a land, what do you mean then by what's left? We're not selling the operations because clearly they don't care if they outsource that to guys like you. And it makes sense because you guys are expert at that. Why would that not make sense? But what is it we're actually really selling then? The brand itself? I mean, what, what is it the value that we're giving somebody that they'll actually pay us money for? Yes, it's a little more nuanced than that, right? So they right. <laughs> are doing some purchasing of the operations, right? Where mm -hmm. they it, really, it's the cash flow, right, of, of the business. If you can run a business and have the operations continue to run and generate that cash flow or, or continue the growth that you've experienced, then that's what they're buying, right? And so there is an operations component. It doesn't have to be you, it's just the network that you've put together or the three people that work for you or whatever it might be, right? So they're buying that. They are buying the land of where you position inside of Amazon, but to a little bit more sophisticated pieces. And some of the uh, the people who are looking at this, you know, strategically now, there's you know lots of money, lots of smart minds coming in. Outside minds, there's not smart minds in Amazon. There's really brilliant people running these businesses. But this outside, you know, sophistication is coming in. For some of them, they look at yeah, what does this brand mean to consumers? 
right? Because let's we can unpack this whole thing and, and we could talk about this for forever, at least I could. What's going on from a macro perspective with Amazon and what's happened over the last 10 years or, or eight years, however, however long you want to peg it, this brand revolution has come and born and grown inside of Amazon because the big guys, well, there's lots of reasons. One, the big guys were just used to selling their typical model of selling to, to large distributors, right? They weren't selling D to C, direct to consumer. This direct to consumer model has evolved and come about with the internet. Now, in the modernization of the internet and Shopify, people like Casper, right? Or Purple, right? That's an example for big mattress companies that have come in and just taken the mattress world by storm and, and destroyed some of the big guys on the, with the online space because they figured out how to do it and, and really carve out their space. That's all, but they're direct to consumer. And then, and then they move into the retail side. So what's happening is, imagine this happening with every category and every, you know, in every single product, in every single space, and it can happen faster by with these Amazon sellers. And so when you're building a brand, it's also, it's establishing your spot in a new niche, right? Like how big was, I don't know, what's a trend? Like beards, right? How big was a beard trend five years ago? It was, you know, just coming up on its big hype, but how many big companies took advantage of that, right? There, there are not any big companies that took uh, major advantage of, of the beards, you got more Dollar Shaving Club, which is actually a direct-to-consumer brand that came in this exact same kind of model, just not through Amazon. So you got all these micro categories all over the place, and these small sellers can fill them and build brands and build a position inside of these categories. And the ones that were done well actually have established a position inside their category that consumers know. And so when you say brand, it's like, hey, yeah, when everyone, someone thinks about umbrella, pocket umbrella, they think about my brand, right? Or whatever it might be, the, the brand might be. Because they go on Amazon, you have a lot of good reviews. You have a lot of people who are repeat customers or people who care about your brand. You've actually established your little beachhead for your spot inside of Amazon. And that's the that's the brand as opposed to, and if you have a brand that that's not just doing, I'm jumping examples here, but let's stay with the the, the beards. So maybe a brand that's just doing the beers, but how does that grow into like total men's grooming, right? Maybe there's there's room for this brand to to continue to grow beyond where it started. That's you know that's a really strategic smart spot to be as a brand owner. Like you got your little beachhead, and then you're expanding it beyond where it was. So when you're talking about like what are they, what's the value? What's the bigger value there? It's not just your spot. It's it's how you you can grow in 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 inside of Amazon or or beyond Amazon, right? And some of the aggregators aren't worried about that. They just say, hey, I just want the next prop. I just want the next mop, the broom. Like I don't need a brand. I just want the number one broom on Amazon, right? That's that's all I care about. Excellent. Um, so just to kind spot. of summarize, uh, I mean, as, as you say, these are big sort of 50,000 foot views, but just to summarize for my little brain, the investor is purchasing the operations, but really they're buying the cash flow is what I wrote here. That That's a really useful way of looking at it and thinking of it. And I suppose because that helps us with our strategic objectives, as you will, like this chap who's thinking of outsourcing a lot of the Amazon operations, they're not really buying a bunch of SAPs and a bunch of contracts with some VAs in the end. They're, they're probably buying like this works. We don't really care how, but it's cash flow nicely. The products arrive on time. You don't go out of stock in your best sellers, all that, right? They're buying something that works, I guess, to put it in a sense, uh, the reality is more primitive and simple than I thought. And that's really kind of reassuring because what it means is you don't have to break your back creating some second rate, although kind of functional operation system if you can get a first class agency to do it for you. 
Mm-hmm. So that's really great because that means that 80% of the sweat could be taken off, off the, for the right business. A lot of people love that stuff, by the way, but some people really I'm definitely don't. The second thing that you've said that if I'm understanding it is really you're buying growth potential. I mean, I guess you're talking about brand and I guess I see that as a connection with the consumer and that would increase like the price point and conversion rates in very primitive micro you know, titchy sort of view terms. But I guess also it's a defensibility piece and you mentioned IP, so there's that as well. And what you're talking about here, I guess, is you're, they're buying future growth potential. Is, is that right? Is that yeah, a, there's some, some aggregators are doing that. Some are just doing uh, land grabs and don't care about the growth. But the ones who are looking long-term who are going to be lasting for the next 10, 20, 30 years yeah. are definitely be look, looking at the growth. What interests me about that, just kind of to, to sort of put a bit of a cap on the aggregator's and I guess we do mean specifically in this case, aggregators is, I guess they're going to be in a similar position to third party sellers. And it reminds me of 2014 when I went into Amazon first as a third party seller, that you're going to end up with a lot of people um, competing on a commodity type basis. And that kind of becomes a winner take all, mostly the guys with the deepest capitalization kind of situation. Whereas the guys who, who aggregate brands and really have a defensible brands in, in all sense of the IP and the connection to the consumer, probably going to do well I, I guess that's a problem for others rather than us as as amazon sellers but i think it's good to understand the overall sort of market we're in as in market for businesses yeah that'll probably be the discussion point in five years from now yeah right yeah that's going to be that's going to be a whole different question it'll be almost more a question for sir investors than, than amazon sellers Coming back to the operations side, now one point you raised to me earlier is what about sourcing? You were saying that a lot of people think they're good at sourcing and they're not. That's quite a provocative <laughs> statement. Tell me more about it, that. It is. It is. So we've looked at a lot and actually on our team, on our senior uh, level team, we've brought in a, a gentleman who knows sourcing better than anyone I've met in my life. And and it's it's just fascinating. You know, he's Taiwanese. He knows the the market over there. His family over there. He just it, it's it's an entire strategy dealing with sourcing the right way, and he's done this for the biggest brands out there, right? He's done sourcing for a big brand. They shave fifty cents off per unit, right, so that they save you know fifty million dollars every year just by shaving a few cents off per unit. And you have to be positioned the right way with manufacturing to get into a Walmart or a Target with your quality control of your product and to do it the right way. Now, Amazon just been so loose, right? Like there's no regulation. Like you you really couldn't get any of these products that people are selling. You couldn't get them in normal retail stores because the retail stores, they've been regulated for 50, 100 years, right? And and they're, they have these regular product quality control steps that Amazon doesn't have. And so sellers have just been able to do whatever they want. And it's not just sellers. They, they may not know a lot about sourcing. It's the sourcing people overseas, you know, who are not the big factories or the small factories, they're creating new businesses, right? They're just like the sellers on our side. They're these small, really dedicated manufacturing folks. And they're like, hey, I can just rent an office space or rent this little, you know, this little plantation here and and start manufacturing product and I can be a manufacturer. And they're very industrious and they're creating their own manufacturer from nothing. <clears throat> And they're able to do that because there's sellers on the other side, this Amazon side of the sea, who are buying from them or able to buy from them. And these small uh, manufacturers may not even have the regulations that they need and, and they don't need to put them in place because the sellers aren't asking for them. Amazon's not asking for them. But now they're selling 50,000 units a month of these products. It's like, holy cow, like 
all right, my business is doing great, but I may not have all these pieces put into place that I would need in place if I was actually going to go into a, a normal retail store, physical retail store. And then it the, it gets even more fascinating where you have the middlemen, all the trading companies come into play because those, the trading companies, 90% of the time or 95% of the time, the people who that people are dealing with, that sellers are dealing with are these trading companies. And, and they might be changing your price. They may not be changing your price. Sometimes sellers are like, hey, it's working. I'm not even going to push my price and try and do anything. And the the trading company may come back like, hey, we got to bump up your price another, you know, 10 cents or 50 cents because of, you know, because of just general inflation, right? Like that's actually a BS answer. Like you, you should actually, if you're dealing with a real manufacturer, you would say, hey, what are your, what are your costs? Show us the increase of the, the packaged goods and the raw materials and all sorts of stuff. So I mean, I'm just giving you an example of pieces where sellers, and I get it because Amazon's so deep to worry in dealing with and, and working with that you don't want to get in the sourcing side. Is It is just kind of a nightmare. But realize that when you're selling your business, and maybe I think a lot of the aggregators probably don't even know this depth of it either. But there's a piece where if you're just selling the relationship, which is many times a trading company that then goes to the manufacturer or multiple manufacturers, they're messing around with the margin. There's lots to be left on the bone there that that actually actually well, at the end of the day, that might be a good thing, to be honest, for these sellers. Because when someone buys a business, they want to see places that they can improve the business. And that's like one of the most sure things that sellers don't get right. Even though people have great relationship, they've gone to China multiple times, they've had drinks with these guys, you know, they have a relationship many times it's just they have a relationship with the with the trading company. And that's that can be okay because they do have a they have a decent spot there, but when you're thinking five years down the line, how these guys get big or the aggregators get really sophisticated, it's having a good relationship with the manufacturer. So on the few things that we've looked at, like that's a bit, that's actually a big boon for the business that would be selling is if they have a really good relationship with the actual manufacturer and they know what's actually going on on that side of the business. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting, isn't it? There's sort of, uh, we were talking about that before the show as well. Like, so really, it strikes me that we we think of things as one entity, one thing, one business. But there's actually chains of people who know people who know people who know people, and and they have relationships which may or may not be that sort of legally binding and that solid. But yeah, uh, I, I I've never forgotten that my friend uh, Chris Davy, who lives out in China and and used to source stuff for a company before he then became an Amazon third party seller and is now you know a, a consultant and everything else. But he said he had a girlfriend who was an agent and when people came over to see her and thought that she worked for a company she had three different factories she worked with and they had she had three sets of uniforms and she could literally line up with the people they never knew she just put on a fantastic show but she did not yeah, work for the company training, yeah she was a trading company <laughs> yeah no, that, that's, is, that's totally standard yeah there you go so we we think we know and we don't which is such a typical theme in china for you know for westerners who don't know which what is, they're doing in it i mean and i don't want to dog too much on training company. like there's a place yeah, for them right sure. but there when you scale to a certain size bigger and i guess i'm just thinking bigger of like hey if this brand's going to scale really big like you got to either use that trading company in a really, you know, a uh, little more secure way, or you have to go directly to the manufacturer if you're yeah. going to get product into to a Target or Walmart, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and at some point that, that's got to be down the line if it gets big enough. So you were talking about this, also the issues that that creates, because that will increase or decrease the valuation, which is something we need to be very conscious of. How direct is your relationship with the factory? How much do you know what you're doing? How good is your QC? A lot of people's QC is very, very sketchy, even though they sold quite a lot per year in, in small business terms. That I definitely know. I've worked with a lot of people on that stuff to, to beg them to get good at QC. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest, that's the biggest hurdle. It's more, and I don't know if it, in, it improves evaluation a lot or not. I think 
a very, very well-positioned strategic partner, manufacturer, which might happen two or 3% of the time, might improve your evaluation. But other than that, I don't think it will improve your valuation very much to have really well-run manufacturing operations. I think what it will do is it will not create red flags for the acquirer, right? So when the acquirer is coming in and they're like, oh, this guy doesn't have the QC. Oh, they don't have these regulations. Oh, they're not child cert- safety certified on these products. They're not using the right type of plastic or you know whatever has lead in it. I mean, there's still manufacturers that do that stuff all the time. And all, the only way to get around is to actually have the certification, get it through tested and by a reputable uh, company over there. Like those are the actually red flags that could stop you from selling the company. Or if it gets down the line, you know, someone might, the acquirer might retrade your deal. And instead of giving you, you know, 3X, give you 2.7, right? Okay. Because you got, they got to deal with those issues. And it's more of like in the due diligence, they're going to uncover these, these kind of things that may not be the case. Because if, if I'm selling kids goods and I can't sell kids goods legally yeah. Yeah. because I don't have regulation. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's their point, right? The aggregator yeah. has every right to like decrease price points. So I guess what what you're saying is it's not so much you're not going to increase the value of your business by getting your QC and the certification and and really ticking every single box with your supply chain. I guess what you're saying is people start from the assumption you've done all that work anyway. If you haven't, then it's going to be massively ding the valuation or more likely they'll just walk away. So I think what you're basically another way of putting it is if your QC and supply chain management is not professional, your business is unsellable if they find out about it is more or less what I'm getting from you. Is that about right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. And, and like I said, that also depends on the size of your business, right? Like, small, like I said earlier, if you're selling for, for not very much, then you probably can slide. That's yeah. not, that stuff can probably slide. But the more you start selling for, the more you just got to have the stuff in, in place. Makes sense. Well, look, there's there's so much to discuss about this stuff. Obviously, as always, you're a fount of knowledge. If somebody's looking to sell their business and they want some support to, to you know, get possibly discuss how to how to make it more sellable and i know you guys have the consultancy wing and that you may even have a conversation with about acquisition yourselves and this is something we haven't really discussed much but what is it they should do next if they want to get in touch with about these things yeah um definitely you can reach out to me at brad at productlabs.net or ai and also you know we can we've helped a lot of businesses position themselves and get ready to sell you know taking six months to position their business or a year to position their business to sell. And then we've also, we've actually had clients who've been in, interested in in selling and, and we've been a, a really good purchasing partner. And that's a totally different wing, like I said, of the business. So we've grabbed a couple of businesses so far, but we're not like these other guys who are trying to get 40, 50, 60 a year. <laughs> that's not in any of our interest. But yeah. we, we love really good sellers. And, and if someone is trying to sell, we'd love to, you know, we'd love to take a look at it and either give our opinions or, you know, maybe come to the table with with an offer there. So, great. And also, uh, if somebody's looking just to improve their business operations, presumably that likes like absolutely meat and drink for you guys. That's what you're experts oh, yeah. at. So, they that's, just the same email, same contact. Yeah, yeah, same one. So that's uh, yeah. It'd be great to reach out to me for any any inquiries about us running and operating the business on Amazon. And part of the tools we have is just better sophistication of understanding your position in Amazon, who your customers are, your lifetime value, repeat purchase rates, understanding that to apply to marketing, helping understand your inventory stock levels, like all the core nitty gritty operation pieces are essential. And uh, we do all the marketing stuff as well, but we mix it with Amazon SEO work as well as Amazon um, advertising work, big companies and little companies. We do it for public companies down to the private startup. So 
Excellent. Yeah. And I think what you just mentioned is you deal with the nitty gritty stock management as well as the, you know, marketing stuff, which everyone is obsessed with. And frankly, that's the kind of commodity bit. What I think is really great about what you offer and which I think is I see such a crying out need for amongst the sort of medium sized businesses that I work with six, seven, eight figure sellers is, is that integrated system because the really big enterprises have those. Is it what enterprise resource management tools? And that's yeah. what really we need as a sort of bolt on ERM and, and, and somebody like you is probably the closest we're going to get to that. So that's a really valuable service. So definitely worth checking out if you're listening to this. And I like one of the biggest takeaways for me is simply this, that, that so many people are considering getting this stuff off their plate. And what you were saying about the fact that actually businesses don't care if you've got it outsourced to an agency or actually they really like it, that's license to free yourself from this stuff. So I love that. If nothing else, that's a huge takeaway for me. So Brad, as ever, a revelation talking to you and um, always a pleasure, thought-provoking and many, many thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, have, thanks for having me on the show. Uh, appreciate it. Thanks, Michael. Thanks so much for listening to the 10K Collective Podcast, part of the family of amazing FBA podcasts. Today's episode is sponsored by the new e-commerce podcast, The E-Commerce Leader. The podcast is hosted by yours truly and Jason Miles, multi-million dollar Shopify owner and Unimi's highest rated e-commerce instructor. If you're the owner of a thriving online business and you want to become the best e-commerce leader you can be, it's got your name on it. For free guides and mini courses on many topics, go to www.theecommerceleader.com.